0: At the S&P, the stops. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special and very regular Sunday mailbag edition. I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's chief investment officer, and I'm joined by Andrew Page, the managing director and founder of Strawman. G'day buddy, how are you? G'day Scott. Hey, before we get started, can oh you dear. tell me what the Motley Fool does? Are we starting Fool with the does? tangents? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just interested to know what, what the Motley Fool does.
0: You're trying to steal my line, aren't you? I am I'm getting in ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stalling now so I can actually come up with something really really good that's why I'm just talking <laughs> uh, The, the Motley Fool is, is an investment organisation that provides market beating stock recommendations to average investors like you and me helping us to invest well hopefully beat the market and become better investors in the process nice How i ask you I'll ask you again next week <laughs> <laughs> okay so what does straw man do
1: Strawman's a a community of self-directed investors that work towards a a collectively improved outcome by sharing investment ideas and research.
0: What I love, mate, is both of us are investors, not marketers. So if we if we do a passably good job, hopefully someone else can uh, help polish up what we're doing. And uh, look, more importantly you know what, don't t- don't, don't take our word for it. Go and find out for yourself. Go to fool.com.au, yeah. go to strawman.com and find out what both our organisations do. I should say for those, again, I'll say this every now and again, Andrew, for a little while anyway, for those who don't know Andrew don't know the background why Strawman is on a Motley Fool podcast and vice versa, Andrew has been a long time mate of mine, was a Motley Fool employee, uh, was the original co-host, in fact, the original host of the Motley Fool Money podcast when you were doing all the intros, mate, and I was just talking rubbish. Um, and it's, uh, you're back which is exciting so uh, you rejoined the podcast yeah. to, to help our listeners learn a little bit more about investing do a little bit better as investors have a bit of fun along the way um, and you know if, you, if a couple of listeners want to go and check out strawman.com we hope they do if you want to check out fool.com.au we hope you do that too uh, we are the best of frenemies we, we are to some degree competing businesses but more importantly in a, in a financial industry full of oh, I'm not naming names charlatans dodgy people bad incentives conflicted remuneration people who will happily take your money and don't get me wrong. We'll take your money as well, but we're going to do it the right way. And, uh, and uh, there are too few good guys in finance. Uh, if if Andrew and I, if if Fool and Strawman can can uh, join t- forces and produce this podcast, then we're only too happy to do it. Nicely said. Thank you, mate. Should we get on with the, the uh, mailbag? I guess we now? should. I guess we right, should cool. get around to it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I will put it. Uh, I won't do the social just yet, but I will say, uh, please send us your questions because. Uh, Andrew, unfortunately, he's got the short straw here. Uh, we're going to try and record three weeks with a podcast before I leave. Uh, can I tell you, Andrew has been very gracious to, to allow us to do that because that's a lot of his time we're soaking up. Now you'll get three weeks off, so he's not you know he's not doing it for nothing. But uh, it's going to take a little bit of effort. So if you can send us some questions, we would very much love it because if I have to come up with the questions, that we'll be in all sorts of trouble. And we don't want to not do a podcast for you. So if you want to hear us over the time I'm away, it's going to be kind of mid, mid to late July, uh, mid to late June, I should say. If you want to hear us, please send us your mailbag questions. I'll tell you why in a minute, but. start start thinking All right, here we go mate first question comes from Joe hey Scott and Andrew thank you for continually producing valuable content each week as I've said before mate I'm not sure what podcast she's listening to but uh, she thinks it's ours so that's okay (laughs) Uh, I I listen avidly to your podcast as content is released on my one hour commute to work and appreciate the insights into various companies many of which I've heard of some I haven't but always happy being educated further, especially in what would normally be the dead time, driving. I'm a subscriber to Extreme Opportunities in Australia and Rule Breakers in the US. Did we do this one last week, Dan? I think we did, did we? Uh, it's about A2, yeah, no, so we, did, we have, we have talked a bit week. about A2. <laughs> we did this last week. I'm going to move on, just to what, pretend what? I didn't do it. Pretend I didn't get it completely wrong. Um... You know what I've done? I've got the wrong mailbag file. That's what I've done wrong. Here we go. Uh, oh, dear. Oh dear. <laughs> so there you go, Joe. You had half a question asked for a second time. Tell you what, how professional am I? Great stuff. Here's, one from, here's Great one from Miles, mate. Hi, Scott and Andrew. Love the podcast, The Motley Fool, and love the Strawman website also. There you go. Boom. I've always been a fan of the idea of keeping cash on hand to purchase shares if and when the market crashes slash corrects slash implodes. I'm sure you've been asked this previously, but if you don't mind, my first question goes as follows. How much cash do you keep on hand in relation to your portfolio? And how does that change at different times? About a year ago, just after COVID became well-known, two analysts were comparing their levels of cash on hand between about 20 to 50%. Hindsight would have told them to chuck it all in the middle at that time, and they would have done extremely well. I would argue that having more cash on hand when the economy is doing well is a bit more prudent, albeit difficult. I know you can't really pick the top or the bottom of the market, but how do you find a balance between the two? my second question we'll get to that if the market does drop significantly would you reposition your stocks accordingly let's go to that later first question mate cash on the sidelines it is a question we get asked regularly it's more we've answered yeah it it's come up before yeah yeah but i what i liked about this particular one from miles was he not only talked about just the amount of cash but also how does that change or how could that change through a market cycle and i think that's a really interesting one so i've said before i'm almost always fully invested um, but his question is, you know, I, I like the the extra bit of kind of nuance about well, okay, but what if you know, if the markets yeah. if the market's bottoming out, keeping cash doesn't seem like much doesn't make much sense. If the market's riding high, you know, if the market does tend to you know four by ten percent about once every year or eighteen months, the longer it's been, maybe to Miles's point, does it make sense to say, well, I will keep a little bit extra cash and just play the timing? What, what would you do? Yeah, I'm like you. I try to be fully invested. I'm not at
1: Present because um, you know I need to sustain myself while we build the business, and there's other there's other factors yeah, right. sort of around around that kind of thing. But the, 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 it all comes down to the timing of it. You know, is that being too early is the same as being wrong. So you've made the point yeah. before. If you, you've got thirty percent or twenty percent in cash for ten year strong secular bull market, well, you know, even when the even when the crash comes, it, you, you probably would have been better off just just riding it all the way up and, and taking the paper loss on, on the chin. Um, and the other side of the of the presumption is is that you will act in the way that you think you will act when the crash comes, <laughs> yeah, and right. and I can guarantee you you won't. It's not not a criticism uh, to it's any one well. person. It's the same for for me for, and for anyone. It's just sort of the 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 conditions necessary for a big market yeah. sell off in mass amounts of uncertainty. <laughs> yeah, now, that's right. Now you look at you look at. Covid is the most recent example of that. I vividly remember, like in early part of last year, just thinking, "Oh, M G. This is <laughs> things are gonna get real." And yes, the markets come back, and yes, it's cheap, and yes, I was buying. Um, but I thought it could got, could have gotten a lot worse, and I thought it could yeah. have lasted a lot longer. And so now, when I look at where we are today, my regret is is not buying as much as I could have or should have. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that that is the that is the the thing you need to wrestle with 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 the the cash argument is are you going to be right in your timing not just once but twice mm. and 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 the listener has made the very valid point that it's not about picking tops and bottoms uh, and it's absolutely not because you just can't do it if, I mean, let me emphasize that you can't do it no one can do it <laughs> don't pretend you can correct, um correct. it's not pos- it's not possible um uh but you you still need to get it broadly right for that for that cash strategy or that uh, the strategy as outlined for it to it to work properly so I think if you are someone with at least you know 10 years plus of an investing horizon ahead of you I, I would I would try and I would try and be as fully invested as I could um, but also look at it from an individual perspective there's no point staying invested if the company that you've you've bought the the prospects have massively deteriorated or it's just being valued at insane Unrealistic levels, or the, there there are always mitigating
0: circumstances. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think? I completely agree. Uh, we have made the point before, as you said, about the market running up. Um, and, and the other thing, by the way, about holding more cash in in bull markets. And so I like Miles. So he, here's the thing: I love the thinking. Right. So he's he's, he's attacking the question the right way by saying, okay, mm. I get that holding cash may not be great, but at some points, if the market's more expensive, if there is somehow Therefore, you know, a higher likelihood of of there being, you know, some fall at some future point. The closer we get to that, the more cash you would want to hold. And I get the logic mm. of that, so it's the right question. What you need to play out, as you say, mate, is is the and probably you know you've know, been around a bit longer, um, is the realities of what tends to happen. So the, the the hardest part with bull markets is the last twelve months are normally the strongest. If there's going to be a crash, the twelve months before it are normally pretty good. The problem is that they, they call the it a melt up, right? Um, oh, my God, I hate that term. Yes, they do. Uh, the other opposite of <laughs> the meltdown. Risk. Anyway, the, the, point, the point being that if there was a 20, 30, 40, 50% gain in, in the 18 months before that, and the market then drops 20%, you would, have had to, you would have had to have waited to be in cash until the very last 20% of that. You couldn't have known when it was going to be, how long it was going to take, and it probably went up faster mm. than you expected it to. And so yeah. even, if, even if you looked ahead and said, there'll be a crash sometime in the next 18 months, in most big I won't say bubbles because that, that, that's a bit pejorative but the most, most you know before most crashes of the last 20, 30, 40 years there's been a really big late surge and the crash rarely wipes the entire surge away and so it's mm. not even it's not even it slowly methodically goes up a bit up a bit up a bit, and then crashes a lot it tends to be the case not always and that's, that's why this prediction is hard as you said you can't pick the top or the bottom is it tends to be fast and so again if you I- you know go
1: I was going to say the, the the world's best example of that was that was uh, was it Black Monday in 1987, um, where we had the, that big stock market crash. Um, you know, it's yep. going back a long way, <laughs> yeah. but actually, I'm, I'm going to I should have brought this up, but um, I, I believe that in December 31, 1987, the market was about where it was on January 1, 1987. Mm-hmm. To your point, whereas it it's like it was actually one of the one of history's big, in the for the Australian stock exchange one of our biggest crashes ever, but over that year, you you often don't see it on charts that are plotted on a calendar basis, mm. <laughs> because because you, the, the high and the it, it, it goes right up and then it comes right back down. But you're kind exactly. where you kind of exactly,
0: you exactly, know? exactly,
1: and that, and that's, people that's at the start bad. of 1987 could have and, and a lot of people were saying, "Oh, things are a bit crazy here. All of this kind of crazy corporate cowboy yeah. stuff that's going yeah. on," and they were right. But but mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. then they missed this massive run up and and probably didn't didn't react the way they should have when, when things came back down, so.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, so it's hard. I think, so that, that's, look, generally speaking, Miles, I love the concept. I don't think, and Andrew's made the point, are you going to behave appropriately at the time? Probably not. Your point about the fund managers who, who are in theory smart people who should have known better, who, who are the people who you know definitively you would say, oh, the professionals get it right, the amateurs will get it wrong. They got it badly wrong as well. That's kind of the point, right? I just, there are just so many examples of when people screw this up and you just kind of go, you know what? Could I be clever and make a couple of percentage points? Maybe. Could I, should, should I though just be like, more clever by not trying to be too clever? <laughs> you know, the, the old pre-commitment yeah. device they talk about. If I just invest regularly over time and I wait for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, am I going to have a lot of money without worrying about time in the market? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the mm-hmm. chance of an own goal is just something not, not worth bothering with. So, you know, mathematically, is it possible? Yes, if you were lucky, right... Had the right fortitude, um, you know, and and had the cash. Maybe, possibly, yes. But also, yeah. you might bring yourself undone trying to do exactly that. End up being backwards. And again, net net, is it really worth it? I don't. I don't think so. So, I, I hear you, mate. I, I appreciate the the intent. I know what you're trying to do. I don't even disagree with the intent, um, or, or the aim. I just don't. I really don't think it's possible. I don't think it's going to help you. Um, yeah. Because as I said, the, the, as Andrew said, the, the bull might go for ten years. I mean, when do you start building the cash position? Year one, year three, year five, year seven? And you can say year nine, yeah. but what if we'll make it, this for seven years? Then you miss yeah. the opportunity in the first place. You didn't get to the year nine. And if you get to year nine, it goes for 15 years, then, okay, you've, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just so incredibly, mathematically, rationally, logically, I get you'd want to be able to. And you're right to yeah. say, if we could, would we? Yes, we absolutely would. Can we, reliably? I don't think we can. I Let's think this, the, oh, just
1: just just a very quick one, just, and it's an adjacent point to that, because it's not it's not the the point of of the of the question. Yeah. But I think too many people, and guys are the the worst culprit here. The um, male of the species is really bad in this regard. I think too often we look at the market as we we look for the big score, quote unquote. Yeah. Whether that's picking a bottom of a market crash and riding it all the way up, or whether it's on individual mm-hmm. stocks or mm-hmm. trying to find the next afterpay or something like that. It's that's what drags us in. It's mm-hmm. it's it's that and that is such a potent and powerful appeal. Um, but for me, victory or success isn't about that. It's it's yeah. if I look back, if I look back on my deathbed and I say, you know what, Andrew, I managed to on average, I had some good years, I had some bad years, I did some dumb things, I did a few smart things, <laughs> but overall, I've managed <laughs> yeah, yeah, to grow my yeah, yeah. my wealth at ten percent per annum even if even if the market was 12% per annum over that time i kind of feel as though that broadly mm-hmm. speaking is a reasonable degree of of success so it's not i'm not trying for that big win i'm just trying i'm more um, for me because i understand the, the the power of of compounding for me it's more about the consistency and longevity of decent returns and then and then mm-hmm. c- compounding um, you know, I'm not. I'm not. am not. I'm not trying to go down in, in history as the the dude who got 40% compound for 50 years. Although that would be really great. Um, <laughs> but, but but you know what I mean? It's just like yeah, you've, got yeah, have, yeah. you've got to have. You've got to. Where are your goalposts? What are What is your goal here? What are you trying to do? If it yeah. is trying to make that big score the next time the market gives you that opportunity, then then okay but but it's probably a far more conservative sensible and realistic target to just basically say listen i just want to get a really decent long-term compound average and and yeah, and that yeah. is that is that is hugely that by any any standard uh, a massive amount of success and, and that's what i aim for and i think i think that's what we our focus should be not on when's the next when's the next you know thumping opportunity to to score some easy money
0: yeah i think that's right and yeah again that's yeah slalom city wins a race right i've I said many yeah. times I'd rather go I'd rather get rich slowly than go broke quickly, and that's kind of in that in that category yep. for me, it's not, not trying to be too clever. Here, yep. Here's his second question, mate, which I really like. He says if the market does drop significantly, or maybe we should say when the market does drop significantly next, oh, yeah, it'll happen. would you yep. reposition your stocks accordingly? For instance, if COVID hits and you own quanta shares and they drop to a thousand dollars, would the best thing to, to purchase another thousand dollars of Apple stock something's much more likely to go back to its normal price level at a quicker speed? Thanks for answering my long questions and ramblings. Cheers, Miles. So he's basically saying, look, you know, okay, you own Qantas, it falls. Do you take the money and jump into Apple instead because it's got a better future? How, how do you think about the response to those falls, mate? Yeah,
1: I, I think, I, I know this is, this is you know, I get on this high horse every time. So whether or not your shares are up or down does make makes no difference to, to what you should be doing. Whether it's a market crash or whether it's any kind of situation, whether it's, in fact, abs, right now, here and now, I'm always trying to say... Where is the best use of my money relative to the opportunities mm-hmm. that are out mm-hmm. there, and and as I say, that doesn't need to be a question you ask during during a sell down or something <laughs> like that. So yeah. so I I'm I've I've got this sort of watch list of shares that I've done a bit of work on. I like them. I've come up with prices that I think are sort of sensible, and of course every day those prices change on the market. And some of the stocks you hold go really well, and although that's yeah. great. Yeah. you know maybe the value proposition once isn't as good as it once was whereas something else is so i'm the adjustments mm-hmm. i make are always in that context of ice forward looking ahead whatever happened in the past i'm up or down my thesis was right it was mm-hmm. wrong mm-hmm. today what do i do today and as the analogy i always give is just imagine your broker calls you up and says listen there's been a system error we've sold all of your shares i can press a button and you can have them all back exactly as they were or yeah. do you just want the cash, and do you just want to reallocate? I think I think you should almost start—not every day. That's a bit silly, um, but perhaps every three to six months. That's a good exercise to go through. Um, yeah. Yeah. You don't have to make the money back on the same stock that lost it. And just because you've made a hundred percent on a particular stock doesn't mean mm-hmm. it can't go up another hundred percent. You know, that, that yeah. it's it's all about where to from here.
0: I like that, and that, that I completely agree. I think one of the things I would say though is. It's, so there's obviously tax considerations. So if you're losing money, you're probably <laughs> – tax losses rather than tax gains. But always think about tax implications, yeah. not as the driver, but as part it's of the It's a secondary decision. consideration. Look after, yeah. Right. Look at the after-tax yeah. implications rather than, rather than try to avoid paying tax um, or, totally. or harvesting tax losses for the sake of it. Your point about not making it back the way you lost it I think is also really, really important. The only thing that grabbed me out of Miles' question was will it make the money back quicker? So he's looking at Qantas and Apple and trying to kind of bet on which company's going to get there faster. And I, I will say, Miles, that's the only thing I'd probably suggest you just take half a step back and, and maybe don't... Um, just, just don't... Uh, try to avoid thinking you know the answer. I'm trying, I'm trying to politely say you can't know which one's going to make it back fastest, right? If you look at... There's a, there's a US cinema chain in the US called AMC. Have you been following that this year, Ram? The shares, I have a little bit, up, yeah. The shares are up yeah. like tenfold this year, right? Yeah. Now if I'd said in January, which company is going to bounce back from COVID fastest, like Miles might've used AMC rather than Qantas as the example and said, I'll get out of Apple and I'll buy AMC. Uh, you know, I'll get out of AMC, sorry, and I'll buy Apple. And mm-hmm. you know what? That would have been, in hindsight, not, it wouldn't have been a terrible decision, but it wouldn't have been the, the, the fastest recovery. So again, mm-hmm. I think I think the, 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 the assumption seems to be, oh, I think Apple will bounce back quicker or go up faster. Therefore, I'll buy Apple. She goes, no, I'm not saying buy Qantas. I'm not, a, I'm not a Qantas fan. I'm not an Apple fan either. I own neither. Um, and I'm not saying you shouldn't get out of Qantas and buy Apple." in this hypothetical example what i am saying is look at the best long term return from either stock rather than how quickly you get there and try and take that bit out of your mind because you can't know it so to whatever time and effort you spend trying to work out which one will be quickest has to be by definition rampant speculation and unlikely to be you know frankly right more often than not just, there's no way to know and so your odds are probably coin toss odds so i would mm. simply be saying what which company do I feel best about over the long term at the current price? If that's Apple, go for it. If that's Qantas, go for it. But don't sort of think, okay, well, which is going to get back to the best place in the next six or 12 months? Um, because mm-hmm. you can't invest based on based on speed or based on short-term expectations of price movements because you just can't be right. You won't be right, I promise you. Uh, Andrew, I've been doing this long enough to know we don't know the answer to that one.
1: Is that, is that fair, mate, or do you disagree? No, I, I 100% agree. I mean, he, he, Mars is right in the sense... It's how you frame the question. It's always a question of which is the most, the best value. That's the right question to ask. To, to, to your point, though, it's not which one is going to get back sooner because you just you, you just won't know. I've mentioned to you plenty of times that of all of best investments I've made, it, it generally requires me sitting on something that's been pretty ordinary for a year or two, and yeah, then exactly. finally gets discovered by the market, and makes yeah, it yeah, extraordinarily yeah. worthwhile. Um, so it's it's sort of like well, it would have been nice if that happened in the, that first year, but. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it worked out pretty good you know um yeah, yeah. so it it it's it yeah it's it. it, it, it and the thing is here's the thing that you can say with absolute certainty if you get that long term view on the business right and you pay a mm-hmm. sensible price th- those returns are, are virtually guaranteed just the financial yeah. gravity of the situation will mean that you'll you will get there and you'll be very happy with it you just can't you just can't say when that will that will exactly
0: happen yeah for sure no that's exactly exactly right cool let's move on a question we got from Shane she says hi Scott and Andrew I'm a long time listener I love the podcast thank you mate as a novice, this is a great question, mate. You'll love this one. As a novice ASX share market investor who is taking the time to read annual reports and announcements on companies to further understand their current financial position and future prospects, I am trying to make, in quotes, investing sense. Close quote for the company BrainChip from the annual report from 2020. Now he goes through some numbers. His revenue was $121,000. It lost $27 million, but has a market cap of close to a billion dollars. Current share price, mm. he says, of fifty six yeah. and a half cents. With such low revenue, significant net loss, but large market cap. How oh he doesn't say how on earth, but I'll add it for him. How on earth does an investor arrive at a buy decision for such a speculative company? It can't be on the financials alone, question mark, regards Shane. This is a really, really, really great question, mate, because what have got a question that's yeah. making a little tiny bit of revenue, losing a fortune, but is valued at almost a billion bucks. And he's kind of like I've read the reports. I've, I've read the statements. How, how can I? How, you know, what 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 can I use? What what you know? Fundamental reason can there be for people to yes. pay a billion dollars for a business losing thirty million dollars? And because you're our small cap expert, and because I want you to go first, I'm going to ask you first. I'll take the next question. Um, you, <laughs> you go first on this one. How, how do you? How do, Well, if you have a view on Braidship, mate, feel feel free to share it. If you don't, just mm. a general view, general question. How mm. how would you think about a company like this in terms of what would you consider? before trying to make a decision of whether to buy, hold or sell or simply just put it in the too hard basket?
1: It's a phenomenal question. I love it. I actually do know a little bit about BrainChip. It's actually oh, nice. the, it's the eighth ranked stock on Strawman. It's really popular amongst our, our community. Um, it's given us like a 71% money weighted return since we first added it to the index in August last year. So it's been a, a real win for, mm. for the community so far. Um, and there is discussion on 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 strawman exactly about that. How do you value it? And so, it it, it it it's a it's about not what the financials are, but what the financials could be. For, so for those who don't know, the code is B R N brain chip, mm-hmm. and they're doing what's called, I think it's a neuromorphic uh, computer chip. And so it runs; it doesn't need a CPU. It's got very low energy requirements. It's what. Is a, there's a massive use case in what they call edge computing and we've got a real potential to go down a rabbit hole here the, the bottom line is it's a new type of computer chip and the potential for this thing is massive if and and what's what's driven the share price higher is not the financials but anyone who's who invests in in new edge new age well what's the word for it cutting edge technology <laughs> knows that more often than not it doesn't it doesn't live up to its expectations with brain chip uh, they, they keep having these announcements like yes we've proven that this works and yes we've entered in a collaboration with, with NASA and yes we're doing this so they've kind of it's like a it's like a biotech company that's just past phase one and then it's past phase two and it's just the future yeah. is like yes there's all this potential if we cure cancer we're going to make a gazillion dollars but they've mm-hmm. actually gone further down the path where it's actually looking like this is Looks like a viable technology, and if it is a viable technology, and it does get adopted as sort of the standard within that within that uh, industry niche, yeah. then then a billion dollars is cheap, frankly. Mm, mm. So, so that's why it's worth so much because people right or wrong, and we don't know yet, but people right or wrong feel as though this technology is, while it's not really generating much for the business right now, mm. will generate squillions for them as they scale up and, the, and this technology starts to get incorporated So that. Is the nub of the question? I don't own brain chip shares, not in real life, or not in, uh, either on on strawman, and it's not because I'm I'm. Oh, it's it's not it's not. There's nothing there. Yeah. It's it's. I just not. I'm not smart enough. I don't understand the industry well enough. I don't understand the um, the, the technology well enough to have a firm view that this yeah. is going to be everything that it's touted to be. Now it could well be, and I don't want I don't want the brain trip brain, tri- brain chip, um, uh, fan brigade to sort of come and send me a whole bunch of, of, of bad emails. I'm not saying it won't. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. but but that's that. So it's, it's a full circle, Shane. How do you value it? you need to come up with some kind of thumb suck as to what mm-hmm. revenue and sales and earnings are going to look like in five or 10 years. And you'll find that most of, the, of that is is whale well off into the future because even if things go swimmingly well, they've got to up production and there's a lot of capital investment. There, a lot of cash needs to go out mm-hmm. before any cash will come in, even under the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. And and the further you go out, the harder that prediction is to make. But you have to do that. If, if you want any hope of, of doing it, you have to be a person who says in 2031... I think that this company will be making a hundred million dollars in revenue yeah. and maybe twenty million dollars in profit. And based on that, I think that they're probably worth X dollars at that point in time. And I might discount that back by ten or fifteen percent or whatever I feel is appropriate to get to a, to a price that is sensible today. And if your assumptions are, are broadly right, you, you'll probably do really well, or you'll at least have a very accurate valuation. Um, but it's gar- Doc always used to say, right? Garbage in, garbage out. That's the hard part, and yeah. and that's what you need to. Figure
0: out. Good, good luck, because I, I can't do it. it. It is it is stupidly hard, mate. I think, I think, it, <laughs> I, I think you, you're right. The, the The thing that gets me most is the lack of revenue right now. I think, you know, the the and you got to be so careful of story stocks, right? I, I'm also I'm also mindful of of you're someone who's listening who owns chip and is you know, strongly strongly in favour of doing this thing, because there's the the. There's, there's plenty of examples of when these sorts of businesses are done well and plenty of they have done horribly. And you can't yeah. know. Every, every biotech company, this is, not, this is not biotech, but every biotech company ever has tried to be the, the next solution for the next big problem, right? Mm. And it is one of those scenarios where, you know, you can look at the size of a potential market and say, man, imagine the world demand for a drug that cured cancer. That would be a size dollar market. And so you can say, well, if they get 1% of that market, then it'd be this... Or maybe if they get twenty five percent of that market in five years. It'd be this, or yeah. what you know, whatever example you want to give. And I'm I'm using deliberately obtuse examples, but you, you know, the, you, so you got to try and size the market. But you have got to try and work out what the probability of success is. And then realize that these businesses are kind of lottery ticket ish kind of businesses, right? Because mm. will it get there? I don't know. If it does, will it get there first? I don't know. If it gets there first, is it going to remain the best solution? I don't know. And so mm. you kind of got these layered concerns or questions, and I think. For me personally, I was just want to see more revenue. I want to see this business starting to deliver on its promise. Other than that, I wouldn't invest in it. Not because it's brain chip, not because I have a view on the company particularly, just because with a six figure revenue and a you know nine figure loss and a almost what was that ten figure market cap, um, eleven figure market cap, it just makes no sense to me to, to jump in that in that in that game. I just, I just think you know what, maybe it does, well, maybe it doesn't. Um, you don't have to have a view on everything on the stock market. There's 2,000 companies, just there's plenty of times around. 2,000 companies on the stock market, I don't I don't have to have a fully informed you know, bet, literally put money on up or down on each of these companies. I just simply say, you know what? Do I have a high probability of success of getting this one right? So make it about yourself, not about brain chip, right? Do, as you said, do I know enough to be right about brain chip? Probably not, you know? Mm-hmm. And if I was, would I be right because I was lucky? Yeah, if I bought brain chip shares today and made 10 times my money, I honestly would say to you afterwards, mate that was a lot of ticket I had no idea I'd no business owning that stock um, you know, unless you know what you're buying why you're buying it and what you expect from the company and frankly mm. I've said this before and I've always got to add because I say to people unless you've got a reason to believe like oh you've got a reason to believe yeah I think it's going to be great no 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 mm. don't, don't just make up a reason you, you know I have to like explain it explain it in a way that would convince somebody that mm. you are right not you could mm. be right not that you know it, like having a view oh, I think it would be massive mm. okay why because mm. doing brain stuff right you know, unless you answer answered the competition questions, the market size questions, the timing questions, uh, and have a reasonably good ability to do that, paying a billion dollars is a lot of money for any business in this sort of space, I reckon
1: yeah it, it, it's hard um, I, I'm, I'm not uh, against early stage business I focus on early stage businesses I, I really yep. love it but yeah I do I do generally I'm, I'm happy it, the, the best gains on these kinds of stocks are those who are in first you're on the ground level it goes from two yep. cents to twenty dollars I mean that is that's, <laughs> isn't <laughs> that those. phenomenal yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I tend to go for more of the stock that's already gone up three or four fold potentially yep. I'm not buying just because it's gone up but they're at a point where a lot of that uncertainty has gone. And to be fair to the Brain Chip Brigade, um, their AKD-1000 chip is actually in production. Right now, right, right, right. so there, there's actually they're actually actually today uh, in June of 2021, yep. you can have a much clearer view into, into as yep. to when sales and revenue is going to start to develop. Saying mm. that three years ago, it was much more of an uncertain <laughs> day. <bed>. So <laughs> it's not silly; it's absolutely not necessarily silly because the, the, we're, we're actually seeing some real important milestones being passed. So yep. I, I think I, I what am I trying to say? I I, I think. Um, that's the compromise that you make the earlier you get in the more of a lottery ticket it is the later you get yep, in yep, yep. Um, there's less upside potential but on the flip side there is more certainty in all of that kind of stuff so yeah yeah, so so I, I I've actually I've I was very dismissive when I first saw this come on the board. Think, oh my goodness, why are people backing this? But I, I, I think <laughs> you can look at it seriously, try and answer some of these questions, and if you if you feel as though with some degree of confidence you you can um, mm. trace mm. out a, a bit of a future, then by all means do it. Um, but, but if, if you're like me and you get to a point where it's like actually too hard basket, don't be ashamed to put it in the too hard basket. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned this with Koshi a few times when we've done the call on AusBiz Oz, is that I think the way to play this is, I don't like that term, but anyway, the way to play this is for me is I take a, a, a basket approach. So if you want early yeah. stage bleeding edge tech companies, know that it's, it's probably better to buy 10 and and know that eight or nine of them are, are not going to do anything, mm. but the one that does do something, the one that does become you know the ten bag or the fifty bag or whatever they call it, that, that will more than make up for it. You you you're still got you you look back in hindsight and go, I should have put it all in that one, but you don't know that then. And it just it's it's mm. a if if that's the kind of thing that gets you excited and you like doing all that kind of stuff, be careful. But but mm. that's probably a better way to do it because you're you're. You're spreading that risk out, and the upside won't be as significant, but neither will the downside. Hmm.
0: It's um, yeah, I think that's right. I, the only, the only, probably because I'm, I'm I'm probably not as small cappy as you are, which is not a word but I've made it up. The only I would say is buying ten small caps is still likely to give you a negative return. <laughs> or at least the you know any any random ten right so if it wasn't the case then you would just oh it's a random ten yeah totally yeah right right yeah. so all, all the one to add to that is you know when when you say buy ten don't just buy ten you know two cent stocks and wait for one to make you oh god no oh, yes happen, right? yeah no, no, no I know you, no. I know you know I know you meant but I just want to I just want to make the point that to, to, to people listening. You know, you still have to do the work of choosing ten with above-average chances of success and that are totally. well-run with decent number. Like you know, the, the business quality metrics still apply. Otherwise, the whole yep. market would, would, you know, you'd buy any small cap you wanted to and buy ten of them and, and retire tomorrow. Um, so yes, buy by only look at them, work out which ones you want, make sure they're, they they're worth buying, and no, you'll probably still lose money on eight or nine of them, as you say, Ram. Oh, totally, totally.
1: Yep. I mean, for, frankly, frankly, let's be honest here. Even if you're only investing in the top one hundred. You know, there's there's going to be a handful within that that just do terribly. It's oh, totally, just, yeah, like, yeah. That, yeah. It, it it is just going to happen.
0: Um, Hih, one steel, <laughs> oh. <laughs> plenty of virgin, plenty of gone flat broke. Let alone just AM, losing 20, 30, 40. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Awful investments, awful yep. investments. Yep. So it's not just a small cap cap thing. Do the work, absolutely. Totally. But just you know, just don't don't put it all on one pony. Get more motley
0: fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple m. Question from Graham. Hi, Scott. I live in New Zealand and listen to your two podcasts each week and get a lot from them. Thanks, Graham. You cover some great topics and I like both your and Andrew's different perspective on things. I mean, you like mine more, right, Graham? Just, just <laughs> I, assume, I assume that's true because you put me first. Uh, I've also joined up with Strawman. Oh, man, come on. I've also joined up with Strawman, says Graham, and it's a great platform to be part of and also contribute to. I'm sure Andrew appreciates it. Do you want to Good to have you? you on board, Graham. Yeah. There we go. I've been an investor on the ASX for over 25 years says Graham and I have an observation which I would like to share it'd be good to get your thoughts I like this I, I like that too mate like this is, we do bag largely as a Q&A but I love mm. when our, our listeners give us some ideas as well either answering their own questions or to share some observations like Graham's about too he says 100% this, there is often some weakness in share prices in June particularly when the company uh, when the company's recent price is dropping has been dropping I think this is because investors are selling to realise any losses for tax purposes. December, he says, seems to be stronger. My assumption has been this is caused by the annual staff bonuses and the corresponding super contribution. If true, it seems to be a bit of an anomaly that can be exploited by savvy investors. Keep up the great work, Graham. I said I'd go first in this one, mate, so I will unless you want to jump in. No, no, please, please. (laughs) Okay. Um, So that's... Interesting, Graham, so I think you're... uh, so individually, I think, we. Is the, the question is, is it a market issue or is it a, is it a company issue? On on the June 30th stuff, I think you're actually dead right. There is often an opportunity for both tax loss selling, if you've made some losses you want to harvest for your taxes, so that pushes prices down, and tax loss buying, if you're someone with some cash to, to put to work, and you're looking for areas where the market is occasionally and temporarily kind of less efficient than it normally is. So I think you're dead right about June. There's a couple of things to think about, though. The first is it won't happen every year. If the market's had a good year, you won't see any at all because no one's selling to harvest those tax losses. There's no point selling before June and harvesting again because you've just got to pay the tax. So the only reason that June selling would make sense is if the company you hold has actually fallen in value since you bought it um, and likely you know, often in that year. Uh, but that, that's important too, right? So if you see a company that goes up 75% then drops 20 most people aren't going to sell it because they probably have bought it at lower prices anyway. So there can be tax loss selling. If you see a company that's been losing for a long time or uh, suddenly loses a big amount and investors are like, you know what, I've got to pay some capital gains tax. I could take, I could take out some money here, um, this other company I've lost money on, and pay my capital gains tax bill or offset the bill, um, I'll do that. So that can absolutely happen, and it can be a really fertile ground to go looking for bargains. It tends to be in smaller companies or, or more thinly traded companies because the efficiency will be will be or the, the inefficiency sorry will be uh, recognised and made up for by somebody else as well, including you know computer trading and other stuff. If I you know if all these shares are down a bit, someone's going to buy them at, at you know four percent lower. You're not going to get big big opportunities, so I think that's that's probably something to think about. But to your point about it, yes, I think absolutely June 30 can be a really or well, the kind of the week before can be a really useful way to if you've got a, a, a watch list. Um, you can potentially jag some bargains. So yes, absolutely, I completely agree. Mm. Um, not always, by the way, and, and I wouldn't buy just because they're down, as always. Um, but as Andrew said, I think it was, was it today, mate, or Friday? Yeah, if, if, you, if you're like a company, the shares are down. <laughs> you don't, you know, there's no reason I like it any less unless there's new news. So um, yeah, yeah, if you're looking at buying a company and the shares are down, and it's because of tax loss selling, it's a great time to be fishing uh, for great ideas. So yes, I completely agree. When it comes to December, I'm so December's a funny one. There used to be a thing called the January effect and mm. shares used to go up in January. And so you know what everyone did, to your point about exploiting it, Graham? They all bought in December before the January effect. So you know what happened? That pushed share prices up in December and hey presto, the Santa Claus rally was born because <laughs> everyone was trying to front yeah. run January. The last couple of years, and I don't know if it was true last year, I'd have to, I have to check, COVID was a funny year, but for the last two of the last three years at least, November has been a great month because everyone's trying to front-run the Santa Claus rally. And you can see where this is going, right? So, look, to some degree, is there an opportunity? Yeah, probably. Um, You know, there there does seem to be a trend there, but I don't know what staff bonuses made. It's a really good summer. It may well be. You might be exactly right. My my guess is it's not staff bonuses. My guess is it was people trying to front-run the the January effect, which used to be a thing. Um, And now, as I said, the Santa Claus rally was born out of that, which is kind of what you're talking about. Uh, but I think largely that's that's grown out of um, uh, that, that's that become the November <laughs> and a, a booming November. There's no no name for it yet. It's too young. Uh, but at some point, if that does become a thing, someone will buy in October to get offended of the November rally and and so on and so forth. So look, it's possible. The only the only thing that's out overall is probably back to a question we had about keeping cash on the sidelines. If you get a two three percent better price in in June, or if you can sell out for two or three better percent better price in December. The chance of being right on that, getting your timing right, the company's responding the way you wanted to, share price not already being up or down by more than the saving or or, or the gain, um, I don't know that it's a it's a particularly useful strategy. The market goes up ten percent a year on average, right? So call that. I'm going to make make some horrible maths here. Just call it one percent a month. If I wait five months for June, and I get a three percent discount in June after the market goes up five percent between January and June, um, then again I'd probably still cost myself money. So I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't be saving cash for these things, and I wouldn't try and sell them somewhere and buy back in January because there's some sort of all of a sudden there's a decline or something. Um, but it's it's worth being aware of, and, and just if you're going to buy anyway, or if you're waiting to buy a great company on on sale, and you want to sell something else to buy it or whatever, they they are good times to have a bit of a look around. What do you think, Ray?
1: Yeah, I, I you you the market isn't in the habit of giving out easy money. Whenever there's no, something to be. True. Exploited, it will be exploited. Mm. So you you, 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 I remember coming across these kinds of things in the past as well, and you think, "Oh, yeah. isn't that interesting?" That's something I could exploit. What yeah. I, I didn't realize, of course, at the time was that actually there's there's probably three hundred extremely well resourced, incredibly mm. capable uh, quant fund managers out there running 10 different supercomputers you know a millimeter <laughs> yeah, away from right. the exchange they, 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 these yeah. these things these things any any pattern any reliable pattern that gets spotted is arbitraged away so your question is have am i the first to recognize and be able to yeah. exploit this yeah, and yeah. maybe you are and 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 good luck to you in the particular yeah. example this is a phenomenally well known thing so it it, it, it I, I went to I went to I was at some event years ago probably only two or three years ago. And there was a quant fund manager presenting and they were talking about this exact effect and they were going right. to set up this fund and they were <laughs> going to do this and they thought right. confidently that we could get two to 3% extra. And I, I looked, I kept an eye on it because I just thought BS <laughs> at the time. Right, and, and surprise, surprise, they did terribly. Um, in fact, by trying to be too clever, they missed out, because of all the transactions and mm. all the other consequences with it, they, they, missed, they missed out on it. Mm. So, Here's the thing. Like, um, you know, I, I'm happy to tell anyone who listen. I bought Prometica shares at 85 cents or something like that <laughs> years ago. It's 40-something bucks today, right? Like, that is, wow. Um, plenty of other bad investments along the way and sold too much on the way up. Every kind of mistake that could be made, I, I pretty much made with that one. But if I... Do I regret that I got it? I could have actually bought it at $0.70, you know? I I could have bought it. I could have waited and I could have got it. I I think whenever we talk about and whenever anyone talks about the great successes in the investing world, whether it was investing in Amazon in 99 or whether it was in, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever... But, but you could pay ten or twenty percent extra for the for the real success. It makes no difference. So we, we spend so much effort fiddling around the edges trying to get something. You, you see people do this just when they normally trade. I, I don't use limit orders. Um. So for those that don't know, you can place a market order, or a limit order. Market orders just yep. just buy me whatever ten thousand dollars at the best price you can right now, um. Or buy it as long as it only gets to this price. I used to mm-hmm. always do it, and now I don't. I kind of think if I'm half right on this. Do I really care that I'm going to pay a dollar four point five, or if I'm going to pay ninety eight point three, or if I'm going to pay a dollar twenty two point? Like it, yeah. it, it, it becomes such a rounding error. And the real wealth isn't in trying to exploit some small, tiny inefficiency where you might get a few cents mm-hmm. or percentage points up there and down there. The money is made in in the compounding over several years, and so. It's not my game. Good luck to you if you can do it. You're up against some incredibly stiff competition. If you've heard about it, probably a lot of other people have heard about it as well. So I, yeah, it's just, look, I I, I used to be much more militant about this kind of stuff. Um, I'm much more agnostic these days. Whatever works for you is what works for you. I've not Mm. found it work for me and I've never seen any evidence of it working for anyone
0: consistently. So it's it's not a game I choose to play. I just, I just for the fun of it, mate. I think it's spot on. By the way, I think you're exactly right. I just pulled up for the fun of it. Woolworths trade history, um, and, and in three days in late April, the shares fell five percent. Uh, they mm. then gained four percent in the first or second week of May. Um, mm. That's probably larger than any, any January effect or June effect or December effect or Santa Claus rally, anyway, right? And that's just three random yeah. days. If you were lucky enough yeah. to buy the day before or day after or sell the day before or day after, um, the, 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 the noise, the, literally the noise of the market, is probably going to overwhelm any, any cleverness that we want to try and bring to it. Again, I, I, I don't mean that at all to be, um, to be dismissive of Graham's point. I think it's the right question. He's been training for a long time. He's noticed those things can be true um, and, and they can be. Uh, but I just it's one of those things as you say that the chances that you can have a trading strategy which beats your investing strategy trying to be clever about those dates I think it's probably a long shot as you say particularly these days with supercomputers and all that kind of stuff um, generally speaking I'll, I'll rephrase something you said which is just that I wanna, I'm want i only going to play a game I think I can do a decent job of winning at I don't even yeah. winning, winning as in being the best at just literally not losing to the other bloke over there and if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to beat a computer <laughs> at a trading game I'm going to lose 95 times out of 100. I just, it, you just are, right? Um, yep. if, I, if I'm a long-term investor trying to bet against people's temperament and behavior and impatience and fear and greed and headline following and whipsawing, I think I can win that one. Or at least, and not winners in be the best ever. I think I can beat the market doing that. I don't think I can beat the market trading against a supercomputer. Like The very reality of who's on the other side of the trade is actually really important.
1: Do you know? I, do you know what I think gets missed out a lot of this too? So let's let's not let's let's just assume for the sake of an argument that there's two investors <laughs> and and one of them has a really powerful computer, five screens in front of them, Bloomberg terminal, and that's what they do, right? And they they yep. trade every day, multiple trades in and out every day. <laughs> and for the sake yep. of argument, let's say each and every year they deliver a fifteen percent return, right, mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. tax, after cost, every That's phenomenal. Now let's say you've got investor B who gets ten yeah. percent per annum right but what they do is they just save up a bit of cash and whenever they've got a bit of extra spare they buy an etf and they get a 10 percent. now financially uh is the first investor better off well it seems as though that's the easy answer Mm. but Mm. while one person has got a full-time job by the way (laughs) probably the most (laughs) stressful job you could imagine you're up all night watching us markets you're in front of a computer you are working
0: hard for and that you're money. money. 40% of that time, the mental stress, not just the not just the actual time spent, but the stress of that, oh my God, I lost 30 grand this week, I right? Mean, spare me. It's it's
1: it's a, it's a very not many people are built to withstand that kind of and even mm-hmm. when you're good at it, you're gonna have long periods of of So yeah. but the other person in the meantime, while their returns haven't been as good, they're out there working a job where they've got guaranteed money coming in through their salary and the rest of it. So you you can't look at it in isolation. So I've often had friends in the past say I'm gonna give up my job and I'm gonna trade. And it's like, well that's cool. (laughs) And even if you get a better return, that is cool. Yeah but but there is an opportunity cost in that and that is is that by choosing to do that as your job, you no longer have the capacity to work another job, which would be far more probably reliable and and certainly much much lower risk. So it's it's not the point that Graham's making, but it is it is yeah. one of those things I see some people out there who legitimately tend to get really good results, but it's kind of like, mm. do you know what? If I was just buying ETFs, but I've just managed to hold down a, a job packing shelves at Woolies or something, <laughs> I, I, I'm actually, in terms of my time yeah. spent, not, not even right. to mention the emotional time, I'm probably better off. So you, yeah. you you have to factor in the workload to it. And one other quick point, which is separate to all of that that I'd make, which, which, which comes... Uh, you reminded Add me of what we were talking thing. before it's I hate this term do you ever you see it all the time like on when the pundits are talking they always say buy the dip so yeah. it'll come up on the call or something on Ausbiz and someone will go, oh I love this company this is really great um, it's just a bit hot at the moment I'd, I'd wait for it to fall 5 or 10% and then I'd buy it and yeah. I think god that sounds smart but god that's dumb <laughs> because I mean. if you it's my point with Pro Medicus or anything before if yeah, it's a good yeah, company yeah. that you really like I mean is yeah. your valuation that accurate that at this price oh you wouldn't touch it but 10% you know it's like yeah, 10 it's t- t- to at, buy it. Yeah. At, at a dollar what a stupid investment 90 cents the bar- bargain of the century yeah, yeah. yeah. this yeah. buy the dip nonsense is it's not a, whether it's dipped or not it's it's <laughs> is there value that's there that is the question and the amount yeah. of people in expensive Armani suits that work for very high profile businesses <laughs> that say that. that. That with a straight face, yeah, I know, I know, it does my head in. So sorry, there's there's my rant. I just think when you start hearing someone talk about buying the dip, they they (laughs) get they get pigeonholed pretty quick.
0: And I gotta say, like this, and this is why it's worth. This is this is. I mean, I made the point before about you know, if I if I have to play a game where I get to bet against other people's behavioral psychology, that's a game Mm. I think I can win, right? And and is that arrogant? Yes. Is that by definition falling falling to my own behavioral psychology? Yes. So I'll I'll absolutely I'll take that as well. but to that exact point, you got you got. It makes such logical sense to say, "I would like it ten percent cheaper." Of course, I would. Of Course, if I can buy Coke now or yeah. next week ten percent cheaper, I'll buy it next week. Thanks very much. But yeah, if, if Coke is, if I don't know what the price Coke is going to be tomorrow or next week, what if it's twenty percent more expensive? Then I'm a yeah. deal for not buying it. And if you think about yeah. the, the I wrote this morning on, I was going to have a rant on Friday, I didn't because we ran out of time about this this these hedged ETFs. Did you see that article in the AFR? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so the, these, and we've had, frankly, I, I love our members at, at Monthly Full Share Advisor. We've had people on our discussion boards talking about how they're, they're, all, they're all buying these, you know, beta shares, bear ETFs, right? Mm. Over the last 12 months, the bear ETF lost 30%. The market's at an all-time high. Mm. Lost 30%. The double leveraged bear ETF lost 60%. And again, I'll say, the market's at an all-time high. Mm. If you're being clever, in air quotes, by doing that, same as buying the dip, it makes it, it, it's, it's first-order thinking. Is it, makes no, it makes logical sense to say, oh, you know what? I would buy it if it was... I would like it cheaper, please. Sure, mm. we all would. Mm. Or the people who say, I want some protection just in case the market falls. Cool. Of course we all would. Yeah. Am I prepared? <laughs> but given the arc of human progress is up... The market, stock market has always gone up over time, despite falls from time to time. We are at a new high. I said we would hit a new high when I wrote an article last March in the middle of the COVID recession. Not to give myself a rap, but just to say, you know, it was always going to happen. It, you just had to wait and let it do its thing. You just had to, like, this is the, investing is the, is the most slothful job in the world. You wait for things to come to you, right? You don't have to yeah. go and get them. Wait for the market no. to hit a new high. Benefit when yeah. it does. Don't try yeah. too clever, bloody trading bear ETFs or, as you said, you know, day trading or whatever you're doing. I On your on your on the call thing, I'll finish with just one thought and then we'll probably finish for today. Um, I was doing a... I was, just, I, I was at NAB this week. I also um, addressed the Australian Shareholders Association. They were kind enough to invite me to address their, their annual conference, which was lovely. I did a quick 10-minute spot or 15-minute spot nice. on some stocks I like, which was lovely. And I put my I put the returns of Motley Fool Share Advisor and Everlasting Income to the services I run up on the board. And I I, I kind of... <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the world's best self-promoter, right? So I feel a bit guilty, a bit kind of like I'm, you know, I'm a shameless plug. Like I don't want to try to overdo it, but I did it, and I and I said, here's what I said to the crowd. I said, look, here's my returns. I say that because I'm proud of them, but I say that because if you're going to listen to someone on stage giving stock tips, you want to believe they're actually doing something. Like you believe you're, how, how many how many people how many experts do you, you here who just say, I think you should buy BHP, yeah. and there's no context. Like I, you know, they, they might have said by the way, I was I was I was picking up garbage last week. I've just started this new job. I think you should buy BHP. Or it mm. could be, I've been doing this for 25 years. I still haven't made any money. I think you should buy mm. BHP. Or mm. I'm really bad at this. I've underperformed the market for 23 years straight. I think you should buy BHP. Or hopefully they're saying, I'm good at this. I have a track record. I'm half capable. I know what I'm doing. And I think you should buy BHP. And so the only other thing, I you know, just to add to your rant about, about experts, and, and we work with some great people and work with some... Other people, um, <laughs> what you know, you surely you don't you know if Doctor Bloke walks up to says says, hey, I'd like to take your appendix out, please. Say, um, okay, but I would kind of like to see your qualifications and Have you done it before? And have you, <laughs> and, and you done well? I, yes, I have done it before. Did the patient live? No. <laughs> you know. or, okay, I might go. I might go the other guy, right? Um, yeah. well, cool. And so anyway, just, I would, uh, as, as your ranters, so i make that point that you know I, I don't I, I really dislike. Big noting myself because our performance is really, really good over almost ten years, and I'm really proud of that. But I'm also mindful that past performance is no guarantee. I could still screw it up from here, so could everybody else. And mm. I'm not saying that you should only look at past performance alone. But I'll tell you what: if I had, a, if, if, as you say, if I had a track record with two doctors, one with a, one with a track record of patients who live, and one with a track record of patients who die, maybe past performance is no guarantee. But you know what? I'll still take the one who's patients that actually come out of the anaesthetic. That'd be that'd be a good starting point, wouldn't it? Mate, I, look,
1: I one thousand trillion percent agree. I, I agree. It's um, not a number you know that, don't you? And, and again, like, well, I, I mean, this <laughs> we talk about being bad promoters here, but look, the, the whole idea with straw is that we want we want a forum where people can share ideas. All we'll for that, this yeah. really yeah. great private investors out. It's brilliant. But the one thing that we do differently is we actually we hold people to account. So it actually, it's probably turns a lot of, I'm sure it does turn a lot of people off and we'll we'll be limited in our potential because of that. But it's very deliberate. Like if I'm, if some random person on some internet forum is telling me to buy brain chip shares Mm -hmm. and I can see that they've got a two year history of strong outperformance and and they've made some very credible insights and that I think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. If it's some bloke who everything he touches turns to poop, um, has this mm. terrible track record? It's, track record is is not the past mm. isn't a, a guarantee of the future, but it is mm. something that I think is. It has always blown me away in the industry, just how few, particularly the professional punditries, sort of people out there, um, yeah. the talking heads, how actually they they don't practice what they (laughs) they preach and so you sort of you'll have a show on something you're talking off air it's like oh so how much have you bought of that it's like oh i haven't really got any of that mm, but mm. you just said that that was you know if if you don't if you're not I think that that's the ultimate test of of conviction yeah. is do, do, do as I do, not as as I say. And it's yeah. scary how many of of uh, it, it, you know, it, particularly sell side broker analysts, and that who just
0: who don't eat their own cooking. I mean, yeah. Says se- yeah. enough said. Full stop. We're done. Uh, but that's, that's enough for now. We need some time off. We'll go and we'll go and cool down. We'll come back next week. Uh, thanks for for <laughs> listening <laughs> to, to the Molly for Money podcast with myself, Scott Phillips, and Andrew Page from strawman.com uh, Before we go, don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast. We hope you do. Do it through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. Also, please have, check out the listener app uh, made by our friends at Southern Cross Austereo with whom we are part. At least uh, we are a, a partnership of uh, a podcast production with their network. So uh, check them out as well. Um, if you would like what we're doing, please leave us a review. Leave us a rating. Um, As I said many, many times, good for our egos, um, but also helps other people find the podcast. And hopefully if you're enjoying it, other people will too. I will say, if you want to get your question answered or like Graham, make part question, part comment, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Please check out our social channels. They're the best way to get in touch. I'll do them in reverse just for fun. If you want to email us, some people like to send a long email, which is particularly fine, info at fool.com.au and our crack member services staff will absolutely make sure that your question makes it to us. Uh, if you want to jump on Facebook, The Motley Fool Australia, or I'm Scott Phillips Money is my work page, just facebook.com slash Motley Australia or slash Scott Phillips Money. If you're on Instagram or Twitter, look me up at TMFScottP. Look up The Motley Fool at The Motley Fool AU. And you can look up Andrew on Twitter at Sage underscore Simeon. And at Strawman Invest, please send us your comments, send us your questions. Follow our accounts, and just be part of the part of the conversation. Um, whether during the podcast or not, it's just fun to hear from you, and hopefully for you to hear from us. Uh, but as I said, we we do love getting your questions and comments. That's what makes the mailbag episodes in particular so much fun, and we look forward to producing some for you. We are going to have a couple of weeks off once we pre-record some, so get them into us quickly. Make sure we've got them. We'll take some after, of course. We'll start to uh, rack them up in the mailbag. But in the meantime, if you can let us know as soon as you can, if you've got any questions or comments, feedback, something you want us to talk about, S- topic ideas. What do you want us to talk yeah. about Please over the next do. three weeks? Let yeah. us know. Yeah. In the meantime, have a good weekend. Full on. See you later.